Okay, so I'm actually going to text you a picture of my brother and make you guess what today's topic is. Okay. Did you get it? Yes. It's just like arms in the air looking like he just achieved something. Mm -hmm. Is that a Game Boy in his hand? Yes. So are we talking about Game Boy? We're talking about video games. Okay. Yeah, baby. So more specifically, because I know that's a huge topic, we're talking more about video games and mental health. And the piece that I want to focus on is violent video games and how that affects people's aggressive and or violent behavior in the real world. Great topic. I sort of feel like last week we talked about YouTube. Now we're talking about video... like. Are we a tech podcast? I know. We're really making the rounds. <laughs> we really are. But yeah, so we're going to be focused on mental health. We're not going to talk about like Twitch streaming, esports, professional gaming. Like there's so much to dig into here, mm-hmm. but that could be for another day, another season, just not right now. So what is your experience, if any, with video games? Like memories from childhood, current games you play, things like that. I was not a video game kid at all my cousins played video games and I always found it really annoying because it meant that they wouldn't play with me Mm. (laughs) like I had this thing where I would threaten to cut the wire of the PlayStation you're like an old crotchety grandma (laughs) um but I think because I didn't grow up with brothers and when I was growing up video games were really like a boy thing Mm -hmm. it was never pushed on me it was never purchased for me Mm -hmm. i did have computer games Mm. which i loved but yeah i I didn't i didn't play video games yeah so what's funny about that is technically computer games are video games so we have in our mind this very gendered perception of what a video game is and who a gamer is Mm -hmm. and if you ask someone to think of a gamer or a video game they're probably going to think of a first person shooter Mm -hmm. which is where you sort of are taking the perspective of the character you're playing and whatever you're seeing is the world they see mm-hmm. rather than looking at them from a third-party view. Obviously, shooter then entails having some sort of weaponry, um, whether you're in like a reality or more fantastical world. And we're also probably picturing someone in like a dark room who's like a teenage boy pale from his lack of sun exposure no friends yes, like antisocial. yes when in reality games are played across all age groups in approximately equal numbers of men and women and adults age 45 plus are supposedly according to the interactive software federation of europe more likely to play than children ages 6 to 14 have video games gotten content wise increasingly violent because when i think about the video games that i saw as a kid like see my cousins play they played a lot of sims and they played a lot of car games that they were like driving cars and stuff and i don't know if it was just their taste Mm -hmm. but i i rarely i don't think i saw until they were older anything related to like actual violence great question I think what's hard about understanding how much violence is in video games is how we define violence. Mm -hmm. So, for example, this 2001 Harvard study was trying to understand, like, quote unquote, what percentage of gameplay is made up by violence in different games. Mm -hmm. And so what they did was they took games in the U.S. for six plus year olds They played for 90 minutes or finished the game, whichever came sooner. And then 
they basically wanted to calculate how many of those minutes of gameplay were quote-unquote violent, defined broadly by violent acts being aggressors causing or attempting to cause pain or death to another character. And so guess how violent Pac-Man was categorized as? I mean, given that, I would say probably very violent, isn't it? It's just like eating things, right? Yeah, it's 61% violent according to this study. So it's that's another thing that's hard is like, to get actual numbers on has the number of or like has mm-hmm. the of the games available to us amount that are violent increased over time i don't know what do you mean by violent you know i was gonna ask you that when you decided to do this topic did you have a hypothesis i didn't have a narrowed scope i just said video games <laughs> and i watched this documentary on netflix called high score which was really good and had so many fun tidbits i won't have time to get to but then i was like okay I'm itching for more on the violence piece of it because and I'll talk about this later, but they touched on some of the concerns as they started cropping up in the late 20th century and like these congressional hearings that we'll get to. And I wanted to know more about that. So then I just read this book called Lost in a Good Game Mm. and it kind of delves into the moral panics around it. And that's when I was like, oh, I I have my niche now. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a hypothesis. Um, I think my experience has been, I mean, I played, I had like a Wii growing up and I played like Wii tennis mm. um, and Mario Kart. And my brother, obviously, as you just saw in that picture, loved Nintendo, everything Nintendo. And then he also later when we were in high school, he started playing Call of Duty. But my husband plays more video games than I do. Does mm-hmm. Santi play video games or? Um, Santi only plays one game, which is Super Smash Brothers Melee for the Nintendo GameCube. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is so specific. <laughs> do you guys have a GameCube? No, no. I don't really know what a GameCube is. Um, He plays (laughs) on the computer. Gotcha. Okay. So he does play one game. Yes. Video game singular. I mean, it is a children's party game. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's definitely popular with more than just the kids. It's very popular. He goes to meetups in the city. Oh my God. I first of all love that so much. Second of all, we will get to it. But video games are so social. Like it's so fun. I know. It's actually really beautiful. Yeah. I know my um, one of my friend's partners recently like drove up to Boston to go to. I don't, I don't know if it was Dungeons and Dragons. It was like a different. It was one game that they drove up out of state for a conference for and like met all these people. They didn't go with anyone they knew. They were like, oh, I'll just meet people there. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah. But so my husband also does. Well, he plays games in the plural and he has a nintendo switch but he also plays some computer games like league of legends and a few others i forget the names for what's his favorite probably hmm maybe apex legends or i don't know there's so many there's hollow knight there's pokemon there's yeah league of legends apex legends fortnite there are a million you know, like, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's definitely, it goes through phases. Like, when one is released, he'll play it, and then he'll complete the game. And then if there's a hard mode, he'll do hard mode. And then yeah. it's sort of like, okay, like, now, now he has a different way to fill his free time until the next game comes out. Mm. But I bristle viscerally when he's playing video games. Like, I just don't know what it is, but I can't help but find it annoying. Like, I find mm. it frustrating. And... I've tried to really think about why that is. Mm. Part of it, I assume, is because if he's playing a multiplayer game, meaning that he's not just playing a computer, like a CPU, but he's playing with his friends, then I can't have him pause 
So if I'm like, oh, I have a question for him, I'm just going to walk in and I try to ask him a question. He uses this mic that I'm talking into right now for his mm-hmm. comms with his friends and he'll mute himself and he'll just be like, I'm on comms. Like, I can't talk. And I'm like, OK, this is really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> like, And I know a lot of other in like hetero relationships, a lot of other girlfriends or partners of gamer boyfriends are annoyed by like how loud it can get or maybe the amount of time it takes up, things like that. But there is something viscerally in me that, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I When you were talking about finding it annoying when your cousins play, I'm like, I find it annoying. And I don't know what that is. I know. I I was literally thinking about this. It's funny that this is the topic because I was thinking about this this week. Like, if Andrew was reading a book mm-hmm. and he was just as inaccessible, if he was like, sorry, it's like a super engaging chapter. Like, I can't yeah. talk right now. You probably <laughs> right. wouldn't find it as annoying. No, not at all. And I, I'm like, what? what is it about video games that I almost have? Because I feel the same way. Like, I have this kind of stigma against almost mm-hmm. of, like, it's not doing anything for you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not intellectually stimulating. It's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. And I think probably also because there's the trope, not just of the antisocial pale teenager in a basement, but also, like, the disengaged boyfriend mm-hmm. kind of thing of like, I just want to play video games. Like, leave me alone. Oh, yeah. Even if that's not actually the case. And I, even though I don't play video games, I have a lot of like respect for the art form. And my brother-in-law works in video games. He designs, like he works in des- designing video games and coding them and doing animation and all this stuff. And like, it's very impressive and very artistic and very cool. Right. But there's, I feel like because media has kind of made the image of a gamer really unattractive. They really, really have. And it's funny that you say you feel like without even necessarily knowing why you feel like this, but it feels like it must be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of what this book I was reading was saying is that most of us have this idea that at best, it's just a meaningless waste of time. And at worst, it's like, a really harmful health hazard almost yeah and so we'll get into not necessarily like where those come from but kind of just the veracity of those claims okay oh i think sorry one other thing before we get into the meat of the episode i think one other thing that like is a story andrew told me recently that has made me want to turn my mind around on the topic of video games is that when he was a kid maybe fourth or fifth grade he would (laughs) My heart, like, shatters thinking about this. He would, like, sneak out of his classroom to go to the library, and he was working on this, like... What? He would go to the library, and he was working on this, like, multi-page instruction manual for the game RuneScape. Like, he wanted to compile all of the knowledge that he had acquired and, like, be able to share that. And so he was working really hard to, like, figure out every last detail and write it. And then eventually his, like, teachers realized and sent him to the principal and they called his mom in. And he got, like, super punished for it. And it actually makes me want to cry. That is (laughs) the sweetest thing. I know. And I'm like, no, this is passion. He was learning. He wanted to share his knowledge. I know. I know. And I'm like, he's acquiring knowledge. He's trying to put that into accessible language in an order that makes sense for other people to understand. Like, this is useful and we should encourage that you know that is so sweet what a sweet instinct to have i know he's like i need guys i I gotta tell the world i need to write this down i need to memorialize this 
I know. But I think another reason as well that I wanted to get into all of this is that there are in the U.S. where you and I are based just what feels like an ever-growing number of mass shootings and gun violence in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are very quick to blame video games. (laughs) And there was even during the course of this research another mass shooting in the U.S. In In Maine. Maine. Mm -hmm. That hadn't even happened when I started researching this. But even back in 97, the Columbine shooting was blamed on a video game called Dune. Sandy Hook was blamed on video games when, come to find out like a year after the fact, oh, the shooter was actually most obsessed with Dance Dance Revolution. (laughs) Oh my god. I don't see how applicable that is. And then... Honestly, that's kind of darker. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) people contain multitudes they really do but even yeah as recently as the parkland shooting trump was like holding a hearing with republican lawmakers and basically like game developers and he was blaming part of this on games and showing them like a montage of violent clips from games saying like isn't that violent and so if we're gonna have something as high stakes as this blamed on video games we need to know if that's real i feel like that argument falls apart really quickly when you Mm -hmm. look at the countries that have the highest rate of people playing video games which i believe it's japan Mm -hmm. like japan and south korea yeah and what and what is um the rate of mass shootings in japan and south korea like non-existent like significantly significantly lower so i would say we're barking up the wrong tree <laughs> oh 100 and uh, what i wished i could have done was get a look at how much gun violence and mass shooting there is by country compared to population like how many deaths per hundred thousand people but then also okay like how many people whatever per capita like or like how popular per capita is a violent game in particular but again, what is so hard is that the definition of violent isn't really mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. So trying for me to look up, okay, video games are popular in Japan. What about violent video games? I have no idea. I have no idea how to measure that. And I think that's like a missed opportunity that could pretty easily be thrown together by a researcher. But I think you're right. So I want to quickly go through a really perforated history of video games based on what I learned from that high score documentary on Netflix. And then we'll talk about the violence piece and we'll wrap, as always, with a little conclusion of takeaways. Sounds good. Basically, we'll start in the middle of the story in 1978 with this game called Space Invaders. And this was Japan's first arcade blockbuster. And it was so popular that there were arcades fully dedicated to this one game known as Invader Houses. Oh, that's so cute. And the Japanese government had to declare a shortage of 100 yen coins because that's what you would be putting in the arcade cabinets to play the game and while developing this game they consider having the players in the game be like your avatar so to speak they consider having that be a tank or a plane but the developer wasn't convinced and then they tried having it be soldiers and according to this designer that was great fun but in his mind people shouldn't be shot and so They went with droids, which is human-like but non-human figures. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, I don't really have an epilogue to that little fun fact, but just to note that even from the developers, as far back as the 70s, like, concern about reproducible violence was, like, already 
a consideration and like a concern that people have. I mean, I think it's a good instinct. Yeah. <laughs> to have. I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Of before you we dig into data that you're going to share with us. I can see why it would be someone's hypothesis that if someone is playing violent first person shooter games that you could argue that they're going to get desensitized to that violence or crave that violence Mm -hmm. or have a reward system associated with that violence that could translate into the real world. Mm -hmm. Although I also kind of feel like you could argue that having a safe and no consequence place to kind of get the violence out of you like if you're frustrated or whatever and like having a place to put that would actually make you less violent in the real world like I, I kind of feel like it's two sides of the same coin like you could really assume either one right I completely agree I feel like the research unfortunately is so far behind on figuring out whether or not it actually generates aggressive behavior, whether or not there are other complicating factors. Maybe is it that like an aggressive person is more likely to play this kind of game and it's not causal? Or as you're saying, could it actually decrease violent output because it's this release? Like it's so important to tease that out when like in the US, the stakes are mass shootings. It's important Mm -hmm. to know like, is this something that we need to be concerned about or not? The the most amazing irony would be if, there were like bans on video games before there was gun control. No, that's exactly what I feel like is going to happen. Like, <laughs> it's so stupid. It's so like, why in the wake of Parkland is Trump being like, guys, look at these video game montages. Oh, my God. And I don't know what their formal name would be, but representatives from gun companies, basically, at that meeting were like, yeah, like, fuck those video games. Yeah. Guys, what? What are we talking well, about? I don't know if you're going to get into this, but I was going to ask. I would imagine that there isn't a financial incentive to really investigate if there is a correlation between violent video games and violent acts because the video game industry mm-hmm. is significantly more profitable than like all of hollywood by a lot it's double which is wild to me because it's like like, a 142 billion industry which is so funny because it feels more niche culturally yeah there are billboards and ads constantly for movies and shows Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't exist for video games Mm -hmm. and it's so much more popular and profitable so is are there like kind of financial forces getting in the way of truly investigating if there's any wrong doing that i don't know but i do know that like pretty much most of the research it almost reminds me of what you said in our munchausen by proxy episode of if i'm looking left but everything is happening right then i'm missing everything Mm -hmm. and i think what's happening right now is that we're only ever asking this one question. And so it's the only thing being studied. It's the only question being asked. It's not being asked in a way that is where the results could ever imaginably be reliable and tell us anything clear cut. So I don't think there's any like machine behind Mm -hmm. the gaming industry preventing those studies from continually being the only ones about video games that are ever put out. Mm. But another thing you said too was that there's almost this consequence-free aspect of playing a violent video game. And that resonated with me just in the sense that I remember being like two or three and watching Dora and already knowing like that girl's not talking to me. This is a joke. I honestly found that so annoying when I was a kid. So frustrating. I right? felt like somebody was calling me stupid. <laughs> like 100%. I understood 
that the TV was not talking to me. And I would test it. Oh, of course. Because I would be like, if I say nothing, she's still going to say, that's right. Uh huh. I'm like, this bitch is lying to me. A hundred percent she is. And she stands there blinking for like 10 seconds. And you're like, come on. I found it so super. Think- I'm like, get the story going. Why are you asking me? You're the one with the map. Queen. I mean, oh, couldn't be truer. <laughs> so I remember being so frustrated by that. And I think I think kids are smarter than we're giving them credit for in the sense yeah. that they know when they kill someone in a video game, they know that that's not a real person and that that's not real death. They know they're about to be revived. You know, they're about to get another life. They'll start over. It's this way of just saying, okay, like this plan of action, let's say your own character gets killed. Okay, this plan of action fails. Now you start over, but there's no finality to it. Like kids are very aware of that not being real death. And again, I'm not, I haven't studied it and like, That could be another area of study as well is like, what are the differences in the way that children perceive what's happening on the screen, whether it's video games or TV or whatever, versus in the real world? And that's interesting to think about. But just from my gut reaction of knowing how I felt watching Dora, I'm like, I think kids know, like, kids are perceptive. I think they know. Yeah, I, I think that the issue is less about truly not knowing or not being able to tell the difference and more, if anything, like a subliminal aspect because for example like when you watch a scary movie you know intellectually this is a movie these are actors people went to work one day and said cut let's start again whatever but when you're watching the movie you are scared and your body is reacting as if you are in the haunted house too even though you intellectually know that it's not real right so i wonder if there if if anything the argument would be if there's something like that contributing yeah like stoking some Mm. sort of violent urge or something god i hope researchers are listening and we're i hope we're giving you a million free Mm -hmm. ideas right now (laughs) it's also funny because the u.s when it comes to movies has like way lower standards like you can the rating system for like if it's pg-13 or Mm -hmm. rated r or whatever is less based on violence in movies and more based on sex of determining what age it's appropriate for like the amount of violence that can be included in even when you think about like a like a superhero movie like a marvel movie Mm -hmm. and people are blowing up cities and that's a kid's movie right while when i was growing up in spain the ratings for movies were like if it's really violent it's not appropriate for children but if there's sexual content children can watch it it's fine Uh, because sex is part of life and it's fine like they were they were more concerned about showing kids violence than showing kids sex and here it's the opposite yeah but that's why i'm curious why there's like the attack on the violence in video games and less so for film i mean i definitely think that people who are most upset about the violence in video games are also upset about violent movies but i think it's something their kids spend less time doing Mm. like i think they their kids spend more time playing video games and there's also more of an idea of agency of like i feel like i'm the one enacting this violence in Mm. a way that you don't really have watching a movie so i feel like that's yeah where they end up focusing but Back to Space Invaders. So that game, as I said, became super popular and it kind of prompted this like video game revolution in the US. Tons of companies start making new games. The number of licensed arcades in Detroit, I didn't fact check this, it's just from the documentary, but theoretically, 
I don't know what the starting number is, but the number of arcades in Detroit grew by more than 20,000% in two years. What? Supposedly. Wait, when? Um, Like right after Space Invaders came out in oh. 78. So like early 80s. That is so funny. I know. Like thinking of like <laughs> arcades being as common as a Starbucks. Like you're just walking down the street. I and know. It's like, oh, another arcade. Another one. Yeah. But... A few other games that are popular as, like, tech is continuing to improve is this one game called Mortal Kombat, which was inspired by Bruce Lee films. And this guy, John Tobias, creates and releases Mortal Kombat in 92. And that's sort of thought of widely as, like, the game that brought blood and guts into the arcade. And you could do crazy things. Like, you could rip out your opponent's heart and, like, thrust it above your head. You can do these crazy, gory moves to win or defeat your opponent. And the commentator on the video game would shout out, like, fatality. So it's just, that's sort of thought of as, like, one of the first, like, facially violent video game. Mm. The next video game that also became a huge focus It wasn't even popular, but it became a focus of the people who were upset about the violence of video games was this game called Night Trap. And basically, (laughs) it's so funny. This guy, Jim Riley, is working at Hasbro. He pitches his idea and corporate is like, we don't want anything that is reproducible violence. So, for example, if your video game avatar can pick up scissors and like stab their pet cat that's reproducible. Like the the player could in their real life then mimic that. They could go pick up a pair of scissors in real life and stab a real life cat. So So you want to have violence that's not easily reproducible? Yes. That's what corporate was telling him because at first he had pitched ninjas as the bad guys and they were like, no, that's reproducible violence. And he was kind of like, I guess, but when's the last time you've seen a ninja? Like it's not that reproducible. He then pitches, as an alternative, vampires. And they were like, that could work if they can't move fast and also can't bite. And he was like, what? So, like, <laughs> toothless. So not a vampire. Geriatric vampire. Because were they concerned that then people were going to start biting each other? I guess. And moving fast? I don't know. So, <laughs> LOL. So he had to use this thing called A-U-G-U-R-S augers ogres i don't know but they're basically these (laughs) slow moving non-vampires who instead of biting have this mechanical grabber tool with a drill inside and the drill is what sucks your blood out so they're these slow moving hobbling non-vampire vampires who'd like grab you by the neck with their little drill grabber and suck your blood that way which is actually so much more terrifying than if it was just like a cartoonish vampire. I also feel like that is more reproducible because I feel like if someone went to bite somebody or wanted to emulate the vampires, I feel like you'd have kind of, in order to cross the threshold between wanting to be a part of your favorite game and like wanting to taste someone else's blood, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a higher bar. <laughs> but right. if... um. If you had a fun tool that you could fashion, right? I feel like you'd be more likely to do that than like literally bite someone in the neck and drink their blood. Right. Anyone else? Anyone else agree? Or was that just us? But I think the calculus was literally as basic as the video game players will have teeth, but they won't have grabber drills. Anyway, you can imagine, I'm sure, how terrifying that ended up being because also this was a game that was filmed and then you sort of almost like a choose your own adventure style situation 
are just watching different clips at different times. And depending on what you do, there will be different consequences effectively. Mm. So it's just real footage of these really creepy, slow-moving non-vampires dragging kids out of their house with these drills. Like, it's so scary. (laughs) That is so weird. I know. So Mortal Kombat and Night Trap become the focus of the 1993 congressional hearings on violence in video games. That's the hearing where they came up with the rating system, the ESRB Entertainment Software Rating Board, where E is for everyone, T is for teen, M is for mature, and AO is for adults only. Okay. So now we're at sort of like a second beat in this perforated history where, again, violence is like continuing to be sort of a top theme in these games and a top concern for not consumers, but more like parents of consumers. Mm. Okay. The day after the hearings ended, a video game called Doom is released. Have you heard of Doom? Doom? D-O-O-M? Mm-hmm. No. So I also hadn't, which I feel... Sounds spooky. I know. Apparently it was the biggest and the baddest. Okay. But they released it the day after these hearings ended. And what made it so novel is that their technology, this guy John Romero and his partner in crime, Carmack, they were able to figure out the technology to make on your personal computer a 3D experience where the graphics could smoothly not just like side scroll the way Super Mario Brothers might, but they figured out how to make it so that as you sort of like move your focus from left to right, you have this 3D view of what's in front of you on your own personal computer. So now PCs with their technology become sophisticated gaming platforms. Now you can actually use it in a way you would have had to previously either have a console or go to the arcade to do. So Doom is this sort of like new hot shit and it's also super violent. You're a first person shooter. You're moving through like dark strobing lights and scary silhouettes and monsters are coming at you and you're trying to kill them and all the typical trappings of a violent video game. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the main beats of the history that I wanted to take us through, at least with respect to when violence became a part of these games, when it became a concern But there's really, as I was sort of saying earlier, there's so much focus on the violence piece that there's a very small amount of research into why people play video games. And as the book I read, Lost in a Good Game, was talking about, there have been a small number of basically self-reported surveys or questionnaires that try to dig into this question. And for the most part, it seems like people, as far as we know, are gaming to escape They want to decompress after a stressful day. They love competition and achieving things. Or they're enjoying the company of others with a common interest. And that reminds me, I tried to find this video and it's since been deleted. But do you remember when I sent you the video of this girl who played Animal Crossing? Yes. I think about that so much because... So that's gaming, you know? And this girl played Animal Crossing, and I guess there was this forum she was a part of where she told people that she was on and her bridge was open. I don't know if I'm using the right vernacular. But yeah, and then everyone stole her shit. Or yes. No? Yes. Everyone in the, like, these two, like, really mean players came over and just destroyed the island that she had worked so hard on building. And so she posted again in the group later saying, hey, all this just happened to me. Don't let them, these people come to your 
home if you spent so long building your place because they're going to ruin it. And then there was that helper person. Kathy, our hero, she she comments on her post and is saying, if like, I totally get if you don't want people to come over after what happened, but if you're open to it, I can gather a group and we can all come help you rebuild your island. And so she did. And then she and the original girl whose island had been destroyed start a years-long friendship where whenever they're on Animal Crossing, they hang out and they talk to each other. And after um, a few years, the original girl whose island had been destroyed hadn't heard from Kathy in a week or two. And that was the longest time they'd ever gone without talking. And she's been waiting. She had just started university and she was waiting to tell Kathy about starting school. Ah. And finally, one day, she sees that Kathy's on and she goes over or Kathy comes to her. And it turns out it's actually Kathy's daughter Mm -hmm. who said, I just wanted to let you know. Kathy has passed away, but she left me instructions so that I could sign on and just tell you how much you meant to her. Oh my God, I'm literally going to start crying. I think that's so sweet. It's so sweet. And I don't know, like when you think about your parents passing away or grandparents passing away and like like getting their their affairs in order, Mm -hmm. if you didn't know that they had this relationship then this other person on the internet is just like i know what happened where'd they go but (laughs) kathy thought to write instructions and this was a priority in her like end of life logistics was making sure her friend knew and i think for me so cute i i will never ever get over it (laughs) i think i sent it to you the text like we need a movie about this (laughs) these are the stories i want to be telling but I think that's one of those things where it's very easy if you're not a gamer to say this is a waste of time. Yeah. If you aren't close enough to it to hear the stories like this or to know that that's inherently a part of it. Are there wholesome stories like this about violent video games? I don't know. I don't know. That hasn't come across my desk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. This is just because this is a memory I have a video of a video I watched probably like a year and a half ago that has since been deleted. But... In my research, I didn't hear of any like that. I mean, to be fair, that's the one and only story I've ever heard Mm -hmm. about a friendship that developed so closely in this, like, social kind of game setting. Well, like, for example, when Andrew is playing games and you said that he's on comms and talking to people, are those people that he knows or people just in the ether? Those are people that he knows, but there are a ton of people who just chat with people in the ether. Yeah. And there are definitely... In a way that mirrors the real world, there are also comms gone bad, you know? It's not like, mm-hmm. it's sort of like comms are comms and you might be having communication with people in life and you're either having a sweet friendship or like being nasty. And then similarly in video games, you're either having a sweet friendship or being nasty. Like there is a lot in violent video games of sexism and really, mm-hmm. really bad treatment of like female gamers mm-hmm. and they will kind of abuse the players they don't feel like playing with to force them to quit so that they can just be on a team with like the guys Mm -hmm. so they'll just like repeatedly kill their own teammate or just do things to obviously virtually kill their own teammate to remove them from the game and just like make it impossible for them to enjoy playing in the same group setting so that's obviously not good i wonder how many women who are gamers pretend to be men a lot of them a lot of them won't speak on comms but they'll type on comms it's giving mulan (laughs) i know (laughs) and reverse mulan i saw this video of guys using a voice modulator as like part of a case study kind of where they would go play call of duty or halo or whatever and their voice would be altered to sound more feminine and higher pitched 
and the way they were treated, they were shocked. They were removed from almost every game they tried to join. And then any idea they had for strategy just wasn't considered at all. Or like they were just made fun of and sexist jokes were made at them. And I don't think they realized how bad it was and how differently they were treated despite being just as good gamers as they normally are. The only difference being the way their voice sounds. So that's not great. But again, I think we just have to be careful of like the causal relationship there because that to me feels like that's the kind of toxic abuse women face in the world. Mm. I wouldn't say like Call of Duty necessarily causes that. It might. It might cause it. It might exacerbate it. And banning video games wouldn't be the solve for like ending gender-based harassment, assault, and discrimination. It just like begs more questions than the the moral panicky blanket wish to ban that so many people are exhibiting. I also am curious about the difference, if any, in data when studying groups of people who grew up without video games and then started playing as teenagers versus Mm -hmm. generations like younger people now who have never had a life that wasn't on the internet Mm -hmm. and engaged in that way and if there are differences in your perception of reality because if you've like grown up on the internet grown up with a different relationship to tech if there is no line between that and like quote-unquote real world i'm not sure and i think again like these are the questions that the like research machine isn't putting money behind like that's the kind of question that i feel like should be looked at and i don't Mm -hmm. think it has been or not in earnest and i I do get that it's hard because it's obviously not ethical to either take kids where you deprive one group of Mm -hmm. all technology and then inundate another with all technology and just like see who kills more like that's just not an ethical way to run a study but at the same time if you were trying to do a more longitudinal analysis of people who did and didn't play video games that's also hard because there's so many confounding variables and like what were your parents attitudes toward video games and Mm -hmm. like what is your mental health situation and how are you treated at school like it's I get that there's difficulty in studying it so I know that's hard but yeah I just to date no conclusive answers Mm -hmm. on that because I've also been seeing or hearing from like comedy podcasts that I listen to of comedians who are in their 40s saying that like social media and being online and being able to and the anonymity of being able to like comment whatever you want and like people saying nasty shit on the internet is not just bad for obviously the recipient of the hate but also for the person writing these things because it's like creating a generation of people who think they can talk shit and not get hit in the face yeah (laughs) and that if you said that in public to people like someone's gonna hurt you and that since it, that the consistent ability to just say mean things and have no real consequences is conditioning you in a bad way because then if you go out of the house or you're at school or at work and you say the same things that you're used to saying on the internet without repercussions, they're going to have very real repercussions. And so I wonder if there's something like that too about video games like that. That's why I was asking the question of like people who have grown up not not being like, oh, I used to have vhs and now i have dvds just i've always had access to this and if that contributes to like the sense of what the real world look and i even struggle saying real world because i feel like i know there is no almost no distinction or not that there is yeah like i feel like the distinction is slowly deteriorating i don't know yeah but i feel like 
digital natives have I know this is all conjecture now but it's fun to talk about and I feel like digital natives have like we were saying with Dora I think we have like a much keener sense of the ways in which it actually doesn't mirror reality Mm -hmm. than our parents do like the first time Mm -hmm. this is a quote I'm taking from Gilmore Girls so Mm -hmm. I you know who knows if this is true but Lorelai at one point tells Luke because he's so not movie cultured that the first time people saw a screen where there was yes. film of a train coming toward them. They yes. ran out of the way because they thought a train was coming toward them. Yes. And so she was joking with him like, now, if you see a train, you don't need to run away. Uh-huh. Whatever. The joke being he had never watched almost anything. Yeah. But like, we would never fucking do that. You know, like, I think that there's a degree to which digital natives are actually more aware of the mm-hmm. distinction. But then you do see the videos of people playing with VR and crashing into the wall. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> so true. I've never done VR, but I it does look dizzying as an experience. The thing is, it's like you see you watch the videos and it's so funny of like, oh, you're being so dumb. Obviously, you should remember that this is fake, but it's so real that you forget. And it's the same yeah. thing I'm, I would say with the scary movies. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You could you could say the same thing of like, why are you? scared <laughs> it's a movie you dumbass I've seen, a video of someone, I've seen a video of someone filming her mom using a vr headset and the little controllers and her mom is just standing in the middle of an open room so stressed out her mom's yeah. like oh my god i'm burning all the damn hot dogs and she's like <laughs> yes so stressed and you're like girl it's just a game <laughs> i know no yeah uh my husband loves this reddit thread called vr to er oh, where it's no. just people like going to the er because they just like crash into their tv or like fall on the ground no vr to jump ER. through things <laughs> no i feel oh, like you need word. to be strapped to something when you're gonna be in yeah, you yeah. should have to, like, film, like, an open area. Like, an open enough area or some shit. Yeah. Nothing expensive hanging on the wall. But now let's get to the controversies. So, as we already talked about, the too violent story is a tale as old as time. We just talked about the congressional hearings on Mortal Kombat and Night Trap in 1993 in the U.S. that led to our rating system. But another thing happening abroad in 2015, so like whatever, 20 years later, is that Turkey wanted to ban Minecraft for it being too violent. Mm -hmm. And it's just sort of like we were talking about with Pac-Man. It's just not a violent game, Mm -hmm. but it's coming from people who have no exposure to or experience with gaming that just hear one thing about it and then it kind of blows out of proportion. Mm -hmm. And so... I want to talk about whether or not those fears are grounded. And to do that, we have to talk about the research. And unfortunately, the research, as we've been suggesting, is really fraught. Mm. So have you heard about this issue, this sort of like crisis that the psychology industry is facing and maybe research as a whole? No. What is it? So basically, right now, people like to say all the buzzwords like the double blind, peer reviewed, replicable study published yeah (laughs) right and what they mean when they say that buzzword replicable is that your results theoretically Mm -hmm. if you're trying to say that they're statistically significant and have real world implications they should be replicable if you do this study and you have results that you're claiming to be true then another scientists on the other side of the world should Mm -hmm. be able to do that exact same study with the exact same parameters and Mm -hmm. find at least very similar if not the same results Mm -hmm. what's weird is that journals right now do not publish 
replication attempts that refute the findings of the earlier more novel studies. So they just want to publish the shiny new, oh my God, like video games cause mass shootings type energy. Mm. But then when someone says, oh, I replicated that study and I got the exactly opposite results, those replication attempts don't get published. Why? I have no idea. I guess it's just like not as flashy Mm. or as novel. Sexy. Yeah. So now our scientific record is necessarily biased by what has and hasn't been published. That then reinforces the idea that you shouldn't try to replicate a study because you're not going to get published. And if you want to get a grant in order to make a living in order to do your research or be tenured or whatever, then what's the point? You need to be published. You, you You don't need to replicate studies that refute things. You need to have a living. Yeah. So in 2015... 270 researchers from five continents tried to replicate 100 studies, the studies all being from 2008, that were all published in three different high-ranking psych journals. So 100 studies from across these three big journals, and only 36% were replicable. And those that were quote-unquote replicable showed effects only half the size as the original results published. And social psychology in particular was even worse than like that 100 study aggregate number they in social psych were only 25 percent replicable by replicable you mean like getting the same results if you were to do it again or yes replicable like that someone attempted to do so no you're so right that that we're only like having similar results (sighs) yeah you know this is extremely frustrating because i feel like when you want to do your due diligence of Mm -hmm. looking into something before you have an opinion about it or change your behavior on it and Mm -hmm. being made to think that you know capital r research is Mm -hmm. this like sacred thing and if there are studies Mm -hmm. i can trust that Mm -hmm. someone smarter than me took the time to look into this and this is the result boom thank you and if we can't trust that and like Mm -hmm. the scientific process then being left to your own devices what are we going on vibes yeah like yeah what are we going on (laughs) like how do we know anything then it's so frustrating i know like no it's so frustrating like how do we remove financial incentives from research when it takes money to conduct research i know so you obviously need to convince someone to give you the money to do it right like i don't know should there be some sort of pool one thing they're saying is like because another problem that we've seen is so there's this other sort of expert in the field named Malta Elson, and he in FlexibleMeasures.com cataloged every paper that has ever used this method called CRTT, Competitive Reaction Time Task. Okay. And one example of that is where you have the option after playing a video game with a supposedly violent component, you have the option to deliver your real-life opponent a blast of noise at a certain volume slash duration. And, like, depending on how long or how loud you make it – That's a measure of like your propensity to aggression in the wake of having played a video game. Is that the right proxy? Who the fuck knows? But he, this guy, Malta Elson, cataloged every paper that has ever used CRTT, 130 papers total. And he found that there were 156 different data analysis strategies used. So that's another problem that the industry is facing is that like if you take something and just slice and dice it to infinity, you're at that point going to find some sort of correlation that you can publish. So it's no longer, the incentive doesn't even become find the true results. It's just 
slice and dice until you get a result that's more likely to be published. And we know the journals prefer positive results over negative results. So just Mm. like do it till you get something publishable. So what does the research say? I I don't know. I feel like it's it's this confusing fog of opinions with actually no statistically significant results when you do things like look at every study that ever used CRTT and find out that every single data analysis strategy in the book was used ad nauseum just to generate results that were publishable. Like it it turned out, so the same guy, Malta Elson, in 2014 did this thing where he took data from three earlier experience that had used CRTT on whether playing video games was a potential cause of aggression. And then he reanalyzed them using a number of different options for like the combinations of duration, loudness, trials, etc. And it turned out that depending on which analysis they chose to use, they could provide evidence that playing violent video games does increase aggressive behavior, that it decreases aggressive behavior, or that it has no effect at all, all using the same data. Mm. But it was just like different analyses used. So it was just... He was doing that to show this isn't working. Like CRTT as a method, trying to provide proxies for aggression. None of this is working. I I, I can't even imagine how you would control, how, like, how would you even study something like this? Because everyone has such a variety of inputs in their life right. that could cause or get in the way of violent behavior. And You know, the studies that show that if you were bullied, you're more likely to bully. If you were abused, you're more likely to abuse. I could see that like mapping onto something like this. Of Mm -hmm. You're more likely to cause violence if you see violence and experience violence. But I feel like there's also people who go the complete opposite way. Like because I saw this growing up, I want the complete opposite in my life. Mm -hmm. And so what makes somebody run towards or run away from something they've experienced. I know. I know. know. It's so it's so hard. And very few of the studies do ever like, yeah, take that context into account. Like, first of all, why do you play? Because again, you could be just playing Animal Crossing to hang out with your friend Kathy. Or are you playing to take your anger out? Or are you playing alone? Or are you playing with people in the room? Or are you playing to escape? Like, there are a million reasons people play video games. And like, knowing that first is almost more important. Because yeah. there are ways to like be violent, even in non-violent situations like the kids who go out and just like pick up frogs and throw them against the tree like oh that's violent but you're just on a nature walk are nature walks a problem or like do you have something internal going on yeah i i know when when the kind of tagline that i feel like people have heard of if you see a kid abusing animals they're more likely to like be a sociopath or whatever right like then they're gonna abuse people but i feel like it could also be i mean there's obviously a spectrum, but I feel like the childlike curiosity of what happens if I squish this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you see it also with like little kids and their siblings. And it'll be like, yeah. okay, you're, you're loving them a little too hard. You're squeezing a little too hard. Let go. You're like looking for the boundaries. You're waiting for someone to tell you, no, 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 yeah. that's too much. No, 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 that's too much. And so I wonder if there's also an element with video games that it's there isn't a boundary. Mm-hmm. If, if you are like roughhousing with your little friend and your mom Mm -hmm. steps in at a certain point and tells you that is too Mm -hmm. rough now you know in your head okay that is the barometer while on a video game no one's telling you that's too rough so maybe there's an element of of that or something i don't know it's the thing is that's still the question and people are treating it like it's a statement they're just deciding Mm -hmm. oh you don't know boundaries and now this will transfer to your real life and you will be violent because you're desensitized to it but like yeah you're framing it as a question, which is important to do until there's conclusive evidence, yeah. which there isn't yet. I feel like it's also the kind of thing that's like um, 
such a generational like to have conclusive evidence if there's even such a thing it would take mm-hmm. like oh we need to study a generation that right. has been raised playing video games regularly and what is their impact the impact on their life across a lifetime right and that would take so long it would take so long and it also still like i think what else is frustrating to me about it is that it does feel one of those things where it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face like what are the good things of video games what if at scale we're doing more good than harm why are we only ever just funneling money into these ill-run studies into whether or not violence is a problem if we also don't know how much good they might be doing like for example i know something really important for kids I don't know, maybe zero to three developmentally is something called like open-ended play, where instead of being given a toy that kind of has one way to use it, you're given building Mm. blocks and now you can do anything or like Mm -hmm. Legos. Now you can do anything. There are so many games like Minecraft that do that are open-ended play that make you a more resilient problem solver. Yeah. That having as many tries to try and fail and try and fail and try a new way and try and fail are actually really good for you. And Mm -hmm. so I'm not trying to say I don't think there are problems with video games because I really do. And I viscerally still have a reaction. I have a I have a viscerally negative and like angry reaction about it. And I don't like them. And I I don't know. It's just it's something that is still there. But I just think that if we're going to start implementing these like international policies, we have to know, is this a problem? Is this the most effective way to address the problem we are theoretically caring about like if oh we do we care about gun violence if that's what we're caring about this is not the most effective way or the place where we should all be focusing to prevent gun violence or yeah yeah, like if it if it's we care about teens mental health is this something that helps teens mental health like when they're alone and lonely and they go on to animal crossing and play with kathy like is that something that's important for their functioning and well-being i think we're just it doesn't feel like a serious inquiry into mm. what people ostensibly care about. I do I do think that we have a negativity bias and, and like to find issues with things. But I find almost like a sense of safety in tackling things from the negative end first and the positive sometimes. Because mm. it's like, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of positives to a lot of things. What if the negatives outweigh the positive? I want to know that the negative isn't that threatening. Mm. And then I can enjoy the positive. Right. Or, or that, like, I'm, I'm being told to look at the shiny thing in the corner. Like, no, but see all these good things while, like, something nefarious is happening. So I, I, I like, get the instinct to want to investigate, is there something underlying here? Like, when we talk about social media and you can list a bunch of things that are good about social media and also terrible repercussions on people's mental health and body image and ability to socialize or whatever. And it's like, are we being told by people that make money off of us? Yeah, but you're more connected to the world and you can learn new things and blah, blah. And it's like, okay, but is, am I getting all these negative things? I want to know if I'm safe. A hundred percent. No. And I think it's like, because I am coming at it from such, I'm on one very extreme end of the spectrum with my own personal feelings, pre-research toward video games in general. And I, you're putting words to a way I've felt that I haven't been able to articulate as eloquently, but I totally agree And I actually do think it's right when there are people who stand to make so much money off of us Mm -hmm. to know the actual effects this will have. Like, am I 
going to be a more anxious and depressed person if I'm on Instagram. And like, and you're just telling me I'm connecting with the world and whatever to make money off of me. Or is that true? Like, I think it's worth interrogating. Mm -hmm. I just think that there are so many ways where this does walk like talk like a moral panic. Yeah. Where it's just like decades and decades and decades of this straw man enemy when nothing ever conclusive has ever come out about this being a problem no other countries where video games are as popular have the rate of mass shootings that we do and we're just like to go back to that thing you say looking left when things are happening right like yeah this isn't where to look to prevent mass shootings and i do agree that there are negative side effects i mean or just negative things in general for example apparently in 2013 In a column for Eurogamer, this journalist named Simon Parkin highlighted how the names and visual appearances of real-life guns, like the Barrett M82 or whatever, are allegedly licensed for use in the Call of Duty franchise. And the rep from Barrett, that gun manufacturer, says, video games expose our brand to a young audience of possible future owners. So, uh, fuck yeah, there are really important implications and questions to be asked around, like, what... With respect to gun violence and corporate greed, do we need to be worried about Yeah, with these games? I do think gun control in general could kind of like sweep up a lot of those concerns. But yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not, I'm not like a video game stan, but I'm, I'm just like, I don't. I feel like it's a both and. There could be issues with video games that are unrelated to gun violence. Right. And there's probably like a huge spectrum of things that, lead to gun violence but i think it's less like can video games impact the way you think i think that's probably true because i think everything the, does. i think everything does like i don't Reading think that's does. like controversial <laughs> you know like yeah, I think yeah. you read a book it impacts the way you think or the way you already thought impacts the mm-hmm. way you read the book you watch a movie you like we are influenced by the media that we see we talk about how kids get radicalized on the internet or not even kids. Anyone can get radicalized on the internet that you are what you eat in a sense. Like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. what you consume will impact you. So I don't think that's the thing to argue. It's more so knowing that what should or shouldn't be constantly being pushed in video games in movies and whatever it is, especially I think what you said earlier about the difference between caring about violence in a movie versus violence in a video game is that in the video game you are owning it in some way you are an act like you're acting upon it so maybe psychologically there should be a different bar for video games because you are putting someone in in the driver's seat and i think that's literally just like what we've been talking about of i would like someone to research it in good faith yeah let me know (laughs) what what is the extent like is there a is there a bar of like this is enough violence that people are stimulated in some way and we do have a sick fascination with violent things and right. maybe it's a place to get your urges out if you have them right that then it wouldn't translate into your life and then maybe there's a point that it goes past that and now it's bad and is is there a point is there not a point is there a point that's different for every person but that's all questions for people with PhDs and shit you know what I mean (laughs) right and like in the meantime there's so much more we can do that has borne out and like proven effective globally with respect to gun control if we wanted to move the needle and we're choosing not to do that and we're using video games as our scapegoat yeah it's just (sighs) speaking of violence that's like sneaky Mm. I started getting this ad for a game I don't know what it's called I, every time I see it, I s- scroll by really quickly so that it doesn't like... Wait, 
I feel like I know what you're about to say. Is it a girl who like looks stinky and hairy? No, but I've seen that too, but it's in the same vein. So it's, it's almost like, do you remember Temple Run? Yes. Where it's like someone's right. And like, you're trying to get, I don't know. You're like running really quickly and different things are going. It's like, there's a woman from the back and she's running Mm -hmm. like on a, on a path. And the obstacles are like hamburgers <gasps> and French fries. And if you hit them, she gets fatter. And then you have to try to get her to like eat salads and like hit these treadmills. And then she'll oh run on God. the treadmill and get skinnier. And you're like winning points as as you try to avoid the things that make you fat and go towards the things that make you thin. And then you win. Oh, I'm God. like, what is this game? Ugh, who who, but- who said? to make that no who th- that's my question and i'm who like fucking why develops is this here because I, I i was like scrolling i see this i'm like what is this and i was like oh my god and i like kept going no i'm like who what? made that who funded that who's playing it like that is concerning but then again i guess the question becomes ugh, my question is sort of in are you making this game because you think that way? Or is this game going to make you think that way? Or do you think that way already because other media like this has made you think that way and now you're perpetuating it? Like, where do we interrupt that cycle? I feel like it's so hard to know. Because on the one hand, I do think that not just video games, but everywhere, there are always going to be outgrowths of the extremely like anti-fat, misogynistic, capital C culture that we're in. And that's going to crop up not just on mobile games. It's going to crop up fucking everywhere. Mm -hmm. But does allowing that type of media then continue to perpetuate this idea in our minds that also runs into or bleeds into our policy and other things? Like, I, God, I don't know, because I'm also one of those people who's like, representation is so important. Like, being able to see yourself in blah, blah, blah is so necessary to being confident. But if I think it has impact in the positive way, then don't I have to think it has impact in the negative way? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I think what where I struggle a lot is both what you were saying about the Dora thing, for example. Like, kids know that Dora's not fucking talking to them. Or <laughs> at a certain age, you realize or whatever. You catch on quick. Both respecting that sometimes we're not giving credit for how smart we are or have the ability to be. And at the same time, that evolution is slower than, like, Technology. societal and technological advances. Mm. And the difference between like knowing something logically and feeling something emotionally or reacting Mm -hmm. to it or absorbing it in ways that we cannot keep track of and cannot catch up to that both of those things are happening at the same time that we have no idea how influenced we are. Right. Like why, why does a brand like Coca-Cola, everybody knows Coca-Cola. Why do they spend so much money on advertising? It's not for brand awareness. Like everyone already knows that Coca-Cola exists. It's the keeping it at the front of your mind all the time that if you think about a soda, you think of Coke. And it's it's why would a company spend all this money on advertising? Because we are primitive in that way. I see it. I want it. I see it. I want it. I, boom, 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 boom. And so if the impact of something like that wasn't real, companies wouldn't be spending billions a year on marketing. Mm-hmm. So there mm-hmm. has to be something too. If you see violence all the time, it's top of mind or if you watch porn all the time sex is top of mind or if you only listen to sad music top of mind like we are very primitive in that way so I I do think there's something to that and then the line I never really know how to balance and I think it might be just like a personal one for each person is like how intellectually engaged do I have to constantly be to fight off my 
primitive baseline of my yeah. programming of I see food, I want food. I yeah. see water, I want you know, <laughs> like that 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 all those studies of like if you put the candy bar in front of someone, they want it even if they weren't thinking about the candy bar before they saw the candy bar, you know? Right. No, I and it's interesting too because that was one place where I had some qualms with the book I read because he mentioned that the mere exposure effect is, to your point, why a company like Coca-Cola spends so much money on ads is because the more you're exposed to something, the more likely it is that you'll have not even necessarily positive affect toward it, but more just like not, oh, I oh I don't know what's in that. Oh, that might be bad. Like you're, you're not going to have as many questions, concerns, mm-hmm. or like bad perceptions of an object if you're familiar with it as you would if you're unfamiliar. So that's yeah. why they're spending so much money on marketing. And he uses that as an example in this book to explain why researchers who don't play video games are more likely to have a bad perception of it. But that's mm-hmm. when I think he should have brought up, okay, but what about kids' exposure to violence then in these hyper-realistic video games? Does that, the mere exposure of them to this quote-unquote violence, is like that I think would have been an opportunity for him to refute any counter arguments of, but the mere exposure effect doesn't function here or like theoretically might not because we still have some mechanism in our brain to understand this is not reality because it's not, you're technically not being exposed to actual violence in front of your eyes where someone is losing their life. And I don't know that mere exposure could necessarily apply to something so traumatic. Like, I don't know. You could just like see that all the time and then like not have just like suddenly start feeling very, very positively toward it. Or Mm -hmm. maybe you do. But he didn't bring it up at all. And that's when I was like, okay, this isn't, I think it was still a good book, but like that was something that just, I don't know, yeah. tripped my radar. And another one was in the beginning, he definitely is, I mean, he's a lifelong video game lover. So he's definitely biased as well. Yeah. And he basically, in so many words, was saying, why are people so scared of video games and kids not going outside when like increasingly going outside is dangerous? And I was like, well, let's not divert from one moral panic with another like don't give me that stranger danger garbage now like i just that was another concern i had with his writing yeah and also like let's say for all intents and purposes violent video games are problematic in some way and let's say your kid is spending hours on end playing them now how how do you safely and productively figure out a way to remove those risks from this person's life. Because I don't think that just saying you can't play this game that you love anymore, period, end of story, go to your room. Like, I Mm -hmm. don't think that that's productive. I do think that there is some degree to which if we're talking not policy, but just at the individual family level or like parent child level, there's a degree to which it still is helpful to say like to just hey, what do you love about it? Like, maybe we could play together sometime. Being in touch with why are they playing? Are they playing for a sense of accomplishment? Can we introduce other activities that bring them the same sense of accomplishment but aren't first-person shooter 3D video games? Can we have other board games as, like, a family that we all play at? Like, are they playing to connect with people? Maybe should I, instead of just letting him play eight hours a day, should I just plug him into the Dungeons and Dragons community and bring him to the conferences so he's getting out of the house more? Like, and I shouldn't even be saying he. I should be saying they. But if, let's say, if we're agreeing or pretending that there is definitively a concern, then there are still better ways to, like, handle that, I feel like. Yeah, especially for the when it gets extrapolated to the most extreme version which is you play a violent video game you become 
a, a mass murderer. No, exactly. And like, as you're saying, to like take it seriously and to really want to protect the health of these kids or the safety of their classmates, God forbid, they turn into a mass shooter. If you want to take that seriously, we just have to be asking so many more questions, including things like, when my kid plays Sims, does he kill his Sim in a pool? And when he plays with frogs, does he throw them against the rock? And is he getting in trouble with the principal's office for bullying other kids? And do I see him yelling at his sister? I keep saying his and I like really need to stop gendering this. Mm. But uh, am I noticing these patterns everywhere? Or is he only willing to play violent games? And what attracts him to those games is the fact that they're violent. Mm-hmm. Because if someone else is like, no, I I actually, I play Call of Duty because I'm on comms with my friends. And I play, you know, Animal Crossing. And I play World of Warcraft. And all of the games I play, the, the common denominator is actually socialization, not violence. Like, yeah, yeah, there's just room, as you're saying, to ask so many more questions before assuming We're going from A to Z in one step. I'm also wary of removing the very few opportunities for play in adulthood. I don't know. Like, I feel like we don't play. We don't Mm -hmm. have as much playfulness as we grow up. And games are a way to do that. Yeah. And and because, like, when I think about my childhood, I don't know what age or what moment or what decided. Like, when I stopped playing with my friends. Oh, my God. My twin and I used to play friends where we just pretend to be your friends and not twins That's so <laughs> and sweet. i'd be like hey my room is my house your room is your house like come pick me up and like we'll go and then like the square staircase the landing of the staircase would be like the coffee shop and we just like toddle over and be like hi we want a cafe au lait like that's my mom's order oh that's so cute <laughs> <laughs> we're just playing friends <laughs> like that's when so did we stop doing that i know my sister and i we loved playing hotel because <gasps> We loved The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Oh, my God. And the idea of, like, living in a hotel or going to hotels and exploring hotels was just... I thought way more interesting stuff was happening at hotels. Like, I thought that I could go into the air vent. (laughs) The amount of times that in movies people are in air vents. So often. Big air vent is really trying to peddle something. No, they are. (laughs) They must be. New Girl, That's So Raven. I can think of, like, a hundred Also, these air vents are, like, pristine. That's not what an air vent looks like, but whatever. But... (laughs) My sister and I loved playing hotel and we would present to our parents, like lobby our parents that we needed more siblings because we didn't have enough staff for the hotel. I was like, I have to be the concierge and the doorman and the elevator man. I'm playing too many roles. So can you please continue reproducing? Because I'm trying to build a game here. Mm, mm -hmm. And my parents were like, fuck, that's really not the argument (laughs) that you think it is. They're like, if your hotel revenue can pay for them, sure. Yeah. And like, clearly we still have a desire to play because this industry is so much bigger than even movies. Right. So if there's a desire for play, maybe we can conclude that video games are not the, the perfect outlet for that or whatever, if that ends up being the conclusion. But clearly there's a desire mm-hmm. for imagination and yes. playfulness. And like, how do we protect that? I, I want, I want to like come from a place of abundance in that way like where where can we create more opportunities for play as adults because clearly yes we want it yes oh my god and that's almost exactly like what I was trying to say too with the parenting strategies if you're struggling with feeling like your kid is spending too much time doing x it really needs to be like additive and adding fun and figuring out are they doing this to play are they doing this to socialize let's be additive and as you're saying come from a place of abundance instead of blanket and 
maybe unfounded restriction and fear. And taking something away without replacing it also never worked. Has it ever worked? No. No. Um. Okay, well, I do feel like that my – those were my main takeaways of just wanting to ask more questions and not wanting to cut off our nose to spite our face and – also, if there are unproductive things about video games, how do we, as you're saying, come from a place of abundance? But are there any other thoughts, takeaways that you are thinking of? I think I said them all. I think we've said <laughs> the most. <laughs> Culture Colander is produced by Elisa Nolasco and Audra Fitzgerald. Show art by Angela Cho and music by Santiago Hervella. Research for each episode is conducted independently and is for entertainment purposes only. Information shared in the show reflects the best we know at this moment in time, and there is always more to learn. 